We gathered for worship. Most of the times when we hear a phrase like this, we assume it meant singing. We gathered for worship. While worship can include singing, it is not limited to only singing. We're going to spend the next number of weeks uh, learning and looking at how the Bible describes the elements of worship. We're going to get a better understanding of why we should think of this entire gathering this morning as a worship service. And that each element of our morning uh, should be worshipful. It says that we get a better grasp of worship, we can engage better for the glory of God. But it's not just our Sunday gatherings that is worship service. Beyond that, all of life is worship. I invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6 this morning. Matthew chapter 6, where we will see a very well-known passage on the importance of prayer as worship. Prayer as worship. Matthew chapter 6. This passage, aside from John 3.16, is one of the most well-known passages in the Bible. It has become known as the Lord's Prayer, where the Lord Jesus is laying out the model of prayer for His disciples. He said, pray like this. Uh, It is the model once taught in schools. Everyone knew it. It has been memorized by millions and millions of people for many, many years. This is a well-known passage. And while that can be, the memory of it can be for good, we also know that just because someone has memorized something or can say something back to you does not mean they understand it or that it means anything to them. Just because a person can say something and say the words that they're supposed to say doesn't mean they even understand it or mean it. They don't mean it sometimes. My oldest daughter will say, I'm sorry, as she's pushing her sister over. (laughs) Are you okay? As she hits her. She, She knows the words she's supposed to say, but they don't mean anything to her. She doesn't care. They just know that those words get me out of trouble. So in school, when, you, when we were told to learn the Lord's Prayer, well, I know that I have to say these words, blah, blah, blah. Some people believe, as a Christian, i just know, I got to know these words, and this is, this is how God's going to be pleased with my praying, if I just pray this prayer, right? Blah, blah, blah. There's many people who just pray this prayer for the sake of it, but it's just empty words. They might not know what it means, or they might not mean it. And meaning it in this passage is so vitally important. We're not just wanting to say words and carry on with our own little life. The words that are found in this model of prayer by Jesus are so vital to what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be worshipful. This is the example of prayer as worship. Jesus warns here in this passage in Matthew chapter 6 against being like the Pharisees who pray like hypocrites. And then he also warns against being like the unbelievers who heap up empty words in their prayers. This prayer has become so well known that it might have lost its meaning. But this prayer, even though it's well known, if you get to the heart of it, truly tells you what it means to be godly. It's all about God. Here, in this godliness, our prayer might become Worship. Worship. In John chapter 4, Jesus tells that he's very concerned about worship. Oftentimes we don't think 
um, that God can uh, really cares about our worship, you know, because oftentimes we just think worship is singing, right? And so we think, oh, well, you know, just make a joyful noise on the Lord, right? That's good enough. Well, no, worship is vitally important to God because of what it is. He says in John chapter 4, But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. God sets the boundaries as to what is acceptable worship and what is not acceptable worship. We must worship God, it says, in spirit and in truth. There is a way in which we can please God with our worship and a way in which we displease God with our worship. The question you must ask at the beginning is, well, what is worship then? If worship is not just music and we're supposed to worship in spirit and truth, what is worship? Worship comes from the words worth-ship. That is, ascribing worth to God. You ascribe worth to Him. You say that He is valuable. That's what worship is. And so we sing. Yeah, we are singing worship. We're saying, praise be to God. This is to God be the glory. Great things He has done. Great is Thy faithfulness. Um, all those words that we sing in worship are meant to say, He is worth something of greater value than me or than this world. That's what worship is, is, is ascribing value to God. He is worth something to me. He is worthy of all praise. That's, that's worship. So when you begin to see that, and that's worship, it's not just singing a song of praise or thanksgiving, but it, worship is a heart attitude of valuing God above all things. Then you can begin to see that you can worship God in more than just song. That you can ascribe worth to God, say He is valuable, in here, we see this morning, in prayer. He tells us in Matthew chapter 6 these things. So let's, I'm going to read it for us, the first part of Matthew chapter 6. This is God's word. It says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do, in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be, may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the street corners, so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received the reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases, as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of God. 
So he begins in verse 5. The section we'll look at is verse 5 and forward. He begins that section by saying, do not pray like this. Some people just think, well, I've prayed. I pray. And when, you, when I ask somebody about, you know, are you a person of faith? Do you, do you have any religion? They say, oh, I pray. I say, okay. Doesn't mean anything to me because there's a way not to pray. Do you pray like a hypocrite? Do you pray like an unbeliever? Because Jesus warns against a prayer that is not worshipful, a prayer that is not honoring to God. It says in verse 5, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Why? They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners. So, pause there. Is, is there something wrong with praying in public? That's not what this is saying. It's not saying there's something wrong with praying on a street corner or praying in church. There's nothing wrong with that. But the motivation is wrong. This is why you ought not to pray this way. They pray that way on the street corners so that they may be seen by others. He says, truly I say to you, they've received the reward. Don't pray like the Pharisees. Then he goes on. Don't pray like the unbeliever in verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. The word Gentiles is always used in the New Testament as like unbeliever people. So when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. So don't pray like the Pharisees. Don't pray like the unbelievers. Why not? Because it makes worship impossible. God will never be ascribed worth or value when you pray in these ways. The Pharisees, their goal in prayer was to be seen, to be noticed, to be well thought of, for people to think they are righteous. They wanted to be elevated. They wanted to be glorified. That was their goal in prayer. Lift me up. Value me. Treasure me. They wanted to be glorified. And he says, don't pray like them. He says, but you know what? That's what they wanted. They wanted to be lifted up and elevated and everybody think well of them. He says, they got the reward. That's it. But when they die, guess what? What use was that reward? Just so what? They got an applause on earth? Good job. God doesn't give a rip what they said. They got exactly what they asked for. They wanted to be noticed. They were noticed. And their prayers fell to the floor. Don't pray like that, he says. That doesn't bring any glory to God because it's glory robbing. Those men are just saying, glorify me. Look how valuable I am. He says, don't do that. It makes worship in prayer impossible. Also, worship in prayer is impossible when you pray like the unbelievers. They believe that they needed to inform God of some things that he didn't yet know. They're going to have so many words in their prayer because, hey, I've got to fill God in. He doesn't know this. He doesn't know the inside scoop of my heart or my life or that person's story. So I'm going to tell him the inside scoop and then I'm going to tell him what he needs to do because he doesn't know what's coming yet. That's how they were praying, those Gentiles in verses 7 through 9, 7, 7 and 8. It says, when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them for your father knows what you need. They think that the more they say and the more eloquently they say it, God's going to be impressed with them. 
and that they're going to be heard because God's impressed with their fancy language. He says, don't pray with that. Don't pray like that. That's not what prayer is about. Prayer is not about saying the right words and the right combination of words so that you sound holy or that you sound like, oh, God's like, oh, you got the secret language? All right, you're in. I'm hearing you now. You've said the right combination of words. You sound holy enough. You sound like you've been a Christian a long time. Or you've heard enough of that King James preaching that you've said some thys and thous in your prayer. You've unlocked my ears. I'm listening. No, don't pray with certain phrases so that you can be heard. Don't think that your language is going to change the way God hears you. Or that you saying lots of things is going to inform God. That belittles God. It belittles God. And they're trying to work in order for him to hear. They don't believe in grace. They believe in works. Like, I got to work. I got I to do this right. I got to make sure that I got the form down. I got to make sure I've memorized the right words. They don't believe that God is a gracious God. That's why he says, don't pray like them. It belittles God when you think that he's only going to hear you when you say certain things. Or when you don't think he knows something. It belittles him. It's not worshipful. It doesn't bring him honor and glory. Don't pray like that. Don't pray like the Pharisees who's like just filled with self-worship just to be seen by other people and you're just saying empty words. And don't pray like the unbelievers who want to inform God or think you need a special language to God. It belittles God and it disbelieves his grace. Don't pray like these people. John Calvin said, believers do not pray with the view of informing God about things unknown to him or of exciting him to do his duty, or of urging him as though he were reluctant. On the contrary, they pray in order that they may arouse themselves to seek him, and that they may exercise their faith in meditating on his promises, that they may relieve themselves from their anxieties by pouring them into his bosom, in a word that they may declare from him alone they hope and expect both for themselves and for others, all good things. That's how Christians pray. So Jesus says in verse 9, pray then like this. This is a prayer that models for us from start to finish a prayer of worship, of ascribing worth and value to God. This is prayer as worship, a great model set for us by Jesus. Pray then like this, he says, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's how he begins. Begins with worship. But, you must be aware before you even begin the words of Jesus' warning against the Pharisees in a different place in Matthew. Because you could see this, you could say, okay, pray then like this. You see the words you're supposed to say. And then you say, okay, I'm going to do this thing. But he says in Matthew 15, 8 and 9, about the Pharisees, these people worship me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. Careful of just saying things when your heart's not in it. So, so Jesus, even as he begins this prayer, he's recognizing that these are not just words of repetition. This is not just phrases you should know. This is a heart attitude. You should come to God with this heart. Does your heart really meditate on what these words mean? As it begins, it says, Our Father 
in heaven. Do you know God? Do you know God? What's amazing, even in this, our Father, is God as Father. Who can call Him Father but a child? And how are we children of God? Only through the grace and love of Jesus Christ. We, we come to God, our Father, through Jesus. And that's why it also says, our Father. It's not just mine. But He's our Father, collective, but also recognizing that I'm a co-heir with Jesus. That I come with Jesus. The only way I'm able to say Father is because Jesus is my, uh, I'm united with Him and He's my brother. I'm an heir with Him. Our Father. So I recognize, even at the outset of this prayer, this God is so high above me, but yet personal to me because of Jesus. Our Father, who art in heaven, He is all-powerful. It doesn't just mean that he's in the clouds and not on earth. That's not what that he belongs in heaven means. Or that he is in heaven. It's just trying to show us the transcendence of God. That he is higher above us, not only in, um, in his personhood, but also in his power. In Psalm 115 verse 3 says, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. His power is so high above. He is all-powerful. Our Father, who is in heaven, we ought to recognize who you are, where you are, what belongs to you, everything. You are mighty, and you do all that you please. You are transcendent. You are high above us. So then Jesus says, Our Father, who is in heaven, next line, hallowed be your name. What does that mean? What does the name of God have to do with him being hallowed? What does that mean, his, his name? Well, his name is wrapped up in all that he is. When, when, if you ever do a study of the names of God in Scripture, you begin to see that they actually describe who God is. The God who provides. The God who is faithful. The God who is personal. As you begin to pull apart the Hebrew names for God, in our English translation, it's awful. We just read God and Lord. But take time, find a good book that has the names of God in, in Hebrew and study them well because they teach us who God is. So his name is wrapped up in his character and his abilities. Oh God, you are all powerful. You are almighty. You are all knowing. Your name is all that you are. It's not just about what. See, what, what amazes me about the beginning of this prayer is it's not yet even about what he has done. We haven't even thought about God creating us and taking care of us and, and bringing us salvation. It hasn't even got there yet. It's all about who God is. Our Father, who is in heaven. Hallowed be your name. What does that mean to be hallowed? Hallowed be your name. It means let us. Let your name be valued. Let your name be sanctified, set apart, and unlike anything else. Let your name be treasured above all things. That's what it means to be hallowed. And that's why that word still exists in even modern English translations. It is a unique word. Some translations have used the word sanctified, and that gives a hint of the idea, set apart. But hallowed is more than just set apart. It is, it is lifted up, it is valued, it is treasured above all things. Our Father in heaven, treasure 
Let your name be treasured on the earth. Let your name be treasured here and in my life. Let your name be treasured in my church. Let your name be treasured in my uh, finances. Our Father in heaven, let your name be valued above all things. Let your name be glorified. Let your name be lifted up. Jesus even prayed this way on John chapter 12. It says, Father, glorify your name. And then a voice from heaven came. Beautiful. He says, I have glorified it. And I will glorify it again. That's God's desire. It's to have his name, his person, glorified, lifted up, adored, worshipped, honored. Because the more we honor and glorify God's name, the more we will be humbled to approach him in the rest of our prayer. The more we realize how holy and perfect he is, the more we realize we're not. And we have no right to stand before his throne. We have no right to live and breathe. We have no right at access to him. Hallowed be thy name. And the more we live like that, and that actually transforms the way we live, the more we're going to tell others about it. Would you believe that this holy God allows me to know him, to be forgiven by him, that I might spend eternity with him and enjoy him forever? Hallowed be thy name. For his name to be lifted up is the greatest need for all people. Because he's the only thing that can satisfy us. He's the only thing that will satisfy any longing we ever have. All the pursuits of this world. People that you know are pursuing all different matters of things. Even you. Even me. We pursue things. And they let us down. They fail us. Day by day, we are let down and discontent. Because we're not finding our contentment in him. And so when his name is hallowed, when his name is glorified and lifted up, it tells us, treasure him. Treasure him. Not these things. Not this and not that. Don't be let down. Don't expect much of this earth. This is not what you were made for. You were made to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So when we are praying this, we are worshiping God, our Father in heaven. We want your name to be glorified. We want to be satisfied in you. You are to be valued above all things. Hallowed be your name. Let your name be glorified. And it goes on. It says, your kingdom come. Let your kingdom come. Let your rule be here. Would you reign here? Reign in my life. Be my Lord. Rule me. Because if you're ruling me, and you're, you're controlling me, and you're guiding me, then I'm not going to be dissatisfied because I've followed your leadership. And it leads me to you and to pleasures forevermore. It doesn't lead me down the path of unrighteousness or the, the wide path. It doesn't lead me down earthly dissatisfactions. Let your kingdom come rule and reign in my life. Rule and reign in this country. Let your kingdom come rule us. Reign over us. You deserve it. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So be that. Do it, God. Arrive. And it's also a dual let your kingdom come. It's like, let the end come. Because we know that even your ruling and reigning here is limited. Because he allows people the wickedness of their own hearts. So let your final kingdom come. Let your final kingdom be brought to bear. Be glorified. Let your kingdom come. The third thing he prays is, let your will be done. God, because you're worth it, 
because you are worthy, because you are valuable, we treasure your will above our will. What you want is greater. Let your will be done, not mine. God, take all of my desires and bring them under yours. And if they are wrong or off, crush them. Let your will be done. I want nothing more than your will to be done. That's ascribing worth to God, is it not? Is it saying, your will is higher than my will. You are worthy to be followed. You are trustworthy. You are true. You are perfect. You are to be valued. You are worthy. And my will, it is so tainted. It's so broken. I plan out things, but they are are wrong or foolish. God, your will be done because you are to be treasured above all things. Let your will be done. This comes right in the face of those who have a name it and claim it kind of prayer life. Well, if I just name it, I can say that it's mine. If I just name it, God will give it to me, right? If I just say I want this thing, God has to do it for me. There are people who believe that. That is not worshipful prayer. That's satanic. It's not. Worshipful prayer is God, your will be done. I don't get to name it and claim it. I want whatever you want for me. I don't want that Porsche. Like A worshipful prayer is a prayer that is one of submission to the will of God. Not a health, wealth, prosperity, name it, claim it. That's wicked. It's wicked. So be careful what you read. Be careful what you listen to and watch. It's all on TV. They got all the bucks because everybody fills their pockets. So they get the most airtime. Don't listen to them. If they're telling you you can tell God what you get, they're wrong. Come back to the Lord's Prayer. See what Jesus says. Jesus says, your will be done, Father, not mine. Your will. Because that is what is worthy. That is what is to be trusted and to be valued above all things. Not my will, but your be done. Jesus set that greatest example in the Garden of Gethsemane. When his human will said, I don't want the pain. I don't want the, the torture. I don't want the wrath of you coming upon me. But not my will. Your will be done. He set that greatest example for us. So let us walk in that. And we can only do this by the power of the Spirit. And what's amazing is even the rest of this prayer, the first part of this prayer uh, is very God-directed, right? Our Father in heaven, glorify your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. And then the second half of the prayer, 11, 12, and 13, is, is more focused on us. But it's still, if truly prayed from the heart, is filled with worship. It recognizes that it is God. God is to be valued, not us. It says, a wonderful little phrase is, give us, forgive us, and lead us. Who's doing all of that? God. It's all about God. And it recognizes, first off, give us our daily bread. Well, who's your provider? The God who is worthy. Who's the only one who can forgive you? The God who is holy, untainted by sin. Who can lead you not into temptation? Well, the only one who's never been tempted is God. It's admission that you are needy of God. That's worship. God, I need you. I need you. I need you to give me what uh, I need to live the day so that I can glorify your name in all the earth, so that I can see that your kingdom and, and rule and reign is in my life, so that I can do your will. I need you to provide for me daily bread that I might be sustained through this day if that's your will. I need you. I can't do it. You can. Forgive me. 
God, because you are pure and holy and just and judge. It's worshipful. Deliver me. Deliver me from evil. That's worship of God. That He is the great deliverer. He is all-powerful. That, that no forces of evil that you cannot shake, the sin and the temptation that has got you down, you have no power over. But God, He can just brush it off. All sin and evil is on a chain to Him. And so deliver us from evil. Recognizing that God, you're over those things. You're sovereign over all things. You're in control over all things, and I believe that. And so deliver us from evil. Because we want your name to be uplifted and glorified. We want your name to be hallowed. We want your kingdom to come and your will to be done. Prayer is worship. When you realize this is just a model of prayer that Jesus sets for us. And it shows us, really, God-directed, God-centered first. Frame your mind right. Get with who God is before you get to what you want or what you need. God, you are holy. And then, come under his submission. Your kingdom. I want you to rule this thing. I want you to reign over me. I want your will to be done. And then here's my supplications. Here's the things I might ask for so that those other first three things might be fulfilled. What am I asking for? Is it so that, am I praying like a Pharisee, so that I might be seen? Look how spiritual I am praying for other people. Or am I saying lots of things because I don't think God knows? Don't pray that way, but pray in spirit and in truth. The truth of who God is. You, you know it as you read the word. You know it as you, as you grow as a Christian. You've experienced God's patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness. So you worship him. That's why we pray in our church service, not just because it's something that Christians do, but because it is worship. We ascribe to the Lord, the worthy do his name. When we pray, we say, God, you are great and we are not. God, you are majestic. You are awesome in power. That's what prayer is. Prayer is so worshipful. So let us then be people with a frame of mind that as we pray, we are praying as worship. Let's pray now. God, you are majestic. And God, you are so indescribable to us and and incomprehensible. We cannot comprehend all that you are. And we are thankful. Because God, we are left in awe. There is mystery about you, and that fills us with wonder. We want to be people who are full of worship, even as we pray, even together now as we agree in this prayer, that you are worthy of all the worth that we can ascribe to you. So God, we want to pray to you because it shows our our trust in you, our dependence on you, because you are the great I am. God, help us then in our prayer to not just heap up empty phrases, to never pray to be seen, but to always pray in spirit and in truth, recognizing that we want to see that you are valued above all other things and that we trust you. God, we want to do this for your honor and your glory. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen.